All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Cutlass Podcast, audio and video versions. So uh, recently we had another relief of a commanding officer due to toxic climate. This one was aboard the USS Lake Erie. So this one, uh, I don't know, for some reason uh, it resonates with me. So I felt it was necessary to kind of just do a podcast and talk through this. I think this happens frequently enough. I mean, every several, not every year, I think at least one or two, three, four of these happens. So um, I want to talk about a little bit about toxic leadership, um, toxic bosses, and then how people can engage or intervene to do this. Because in many cases, people ask, like, how did they get this far? Or how did, was no one able to stop them? So with me to discuss this, um, I'm happy to welcome back John Cordell. Um, he's a retired Navy captain. He was a Navy nuke. He commanded uh, several vessels and surface community. He's now a human factors engineer and a prolific disruptive thinker and writer. He's been published in Proceedings Magazine and several others. So, John, welcome back. How are things going with you? Hey, thanks. Uh, really glad to be here. And I appreciate the opportunity to, to chat about this topic. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I think this is happening a lot. Um, I don't know a lot. I won't say a lot, but it happens frequently enough um, and I look back on it. Fortunately, I never had to work for a toxic boss per se. I don't think I was a toxic leader, um, but I don't think we talk about it enough and, and more importantly, how to mitigate it. So um, I thought it was cool because you've got the commanding officer angle. I've got the command mass chief angle and the work you do now, you know, is very focused on just human factors, but climate, how do we make teams better? How do we reduce anxiety and stress and crews and things like that? Um, so I want to kind of dive into it. So let's start. I want to get your thoughts. So from your perspective, John Coral, what is toxic leadership? Um, the Navy doesn't have any criteria defined from what I've learned, right? But what is toxic leadership and why is it so bad in any personal experience you've had with it? Sure. Um, well, I think you make a great point there right off the bat that uh, when, you know, the, the, uh, this investigation became public via Freedom of Information Act. And so you could read through it and you can sort of draw lines between the behavior in there and uh, and the relief. But at the end of the day, the investigating officer even says the Navy has no definition of toxic leadership. And then they go on to talk about some things that were used to determine that this was, in fact, a case of that. But uh, it really, at the end of the day, it boiled down to yelling and, and physical contact were the two things that sort of set it apart. So I got to thinking about that. You know, as you mentioned, I had two command tours and uh, and I'm not going to say I never yelled. Um, and, uh, in fact, I can think of one instance of physical contact that I'll talk about that I, that I still regret, but, uh, you know, at some point we all have a point where we, where we make mistakes or sometimes go too far, um, or come close and it's good to have somebody there to stop you, right? That's a piece of this. But at the end of the day, as a leader, one of the things you want to do is motivate your folks to, uh, to succeed and to excel. And there's d different ways to do that. There's a coaching perspective. There's more of a, of a, uh, um, I guess, how would you say it? Um, directive leadership, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm just going to tell you what to do and expect you to do it. Uh, and then how do you react when people don't respond to your leadership style or when they don't respond to your direction and, and do what, what you want them to do? And uh, and that can come from a lot of different places. It can come from insecurity. It can come from just the way you were raised as a as a naval officer. You know, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say I had toxic leaders, but I had some that were pretty darn demanding. And uh, there were days when I kind of felt like they were toxic, especially if, if I was the subject of their ire, you know. Yeah. But uh, that's, like, that's one of the challenges we can talk about is without a strict definition, it's hard to go to your boss or some external person and say, hey, you're being toxic or my boss is toxic. And so that's part of the challenge. But when I look at it, um, it really boils down to how would you like to be treated, right? Um, it was interesting when I left when I retired from the Navy in 2013, I went to work at a, uh, a private company. And within a few weeks, it was clear to me that something was very different from my time in the Navy. And part of that was nobody cussed, nobody yelled. Um, it was just kind of weird to me. It kind of did take, it took a while to sink in. Hey, this is different than active duty Navy that I was used to, unfortunately. So, uh, so those are some of the thoughts. But I think at the end of the day, it's how would you like to be led and how would you like to be treated? And that becomes kind of the standard. And then you just compare uh, compared to that. Yep. Um, so impacts on, you know, an organization and, and again, um, obviously we're retired military, but I, I think the insights we offer here translate into civilian side too, right? Corporate America, 
Um, how you handle it's different for sure, but there are differences. I've seen it too now. I've been retired about five years. Um, so what are the impacts on a unit uh, when you have, and again, we're going to, you know, this was a commanding officer. Those are the ones that get the, you know, the high visibility, but this can happen at any level within a command. I can have a toxic, I, you know, commanding officer, um, toxic Your XO, officer, I can have a toxic um, department head, department chief. Head, absolutely. Yeah. So um, what is the impact on the team when these leaders are there? It's interesting. I, I have a little bit of a unique perspective on this uh, just by chance is uh, there's a, a fairly famous case. I'm sure you've heard of it of the, uh, of uh, Captain Graf from the, yeah. um, from the cruiser back in about 2010 or so, who happened to be a peer of mine that went through uh, 05, we were 05 command together. And so I knew Holly and I didn't know her as a leader, just as a peer, uh, but her reputation was out there, even, even in 05 command. And then, uh, it turned out that years later, one of the division officers from her XO tour wrote a book called Long Way Home, Long Way Home, um, Nicole Waybright. And Nicole was a division officer that really bore the brunt of a lot of, of Holly's uh, ire. And yeah. it took her like 20 years. So you talk about the impact. She went in, she got out of the Navy, and she sort of went went sinker for like years. And then she came out and wrote this massive book about her experience and how it impacted her. Um, and then she talks about a department head that really probably – stepped between her and the XO at the time. Um, but he bore the brunt of that to the point where at some point, as the senior department of the ship, he ended up injuring himself on purpose to get off the ship, to get out from under this XO. Uh, and so when you think about wow. the impact, how, how bad would your boss have to be for you to literally, to, to quote him, bang my leg against the sink a hundred times um, to cause enough damage to be medevaced off the ship hmm. in order to get out from under this leader. And so yeah. um, when you think about the impact of that, over the entire crew over time, that's 300 people that could be impacted for the rest of their lives. And so yep. you treat this as a one-off incident, but it, it's, you know, in on, any, on a cruiser, that's a crew of three to 400 that are affected. And, uh, and then over time that could, that number could double with turnover and things like that. And so yeah. it's, you know, we talk about psychological safety. We talk about, uh, um, how you learn from leaders. And at some point you might even emulate that behavior because you might see it. like you said, Paul, the ship is successful. And so maybe that's a path to success is to just yep. be mean to everybody until they perform out of fear, you know? Right. And that's what it comes down to. So, uh, you and I were raising the Naval nuclear power program. One of those, <laughs> you know, seriously, uh, for as tough as that is, right. The, the core values of that program and the guiding principles are pretty solid. And one is watch team backup. Right. right. So I think this is an absolute shutdown of watch team backup, right. Um, people have a fear of reporting, they don't want to, it's almost dictatorial in perspective, right? It's like the similar thing you see out of dictators um, at the state level, right? So people stop bringing you bad news. Um, things pressurize up. Obviously there's emotional impacts on the command, but then like to your point, like, you know, the psychological impacts on people that endures past their service. Now you get into recruiting, right? So, right. Um, so there are, are one toxic leader can have so many negative impacts, not just the individual unit readiness and and kind of morale and stuff for the crew day to day, but then to organizational reputation as well. So it is a it it's reaches well beyond the unit, especially when it's popped in Navy Times and other articles. Right, right. It's really a strategic impact, both in in, in like you said, the messaging, and uh, and also over time. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's unfortunate that you know. I mean, it's hard to tell comparison. It's probably too early to tell. But uh, certainly a lot of similarities in, in this yeah. case with the one of 10 years ago. And yeah, when we'll you talk, talk about, about other people, it was interesting to talk to the department head on this ship where he said, you know, the, the sad thing is everyone knew the, uh, the ship's chaplain, the, the commanding officer. Uh, in this case, even he, he, he is confident that the Commodore knew. Um, and yet the ship was performing well. And, uh, and so from the outside in, it was tolerated. if yeah. not, you know, fostered. And uh, I've had at least one friend of mine talk about how he had a, a leader under him, working for him, that he considered toxic. But rather than write them a bad fitness report, he wrote them a mediocre fitness report with the idea that the board will pick up on, you know, the subtle innuendo in my report and not select this person for the next level. Yep. Well, that didn't happen. This person got selected and went on and, uh, in fact, was not relieved, but became pretty famous in Navy Times for some other uh, events on the ship. And so... Uh, it really boils down to how do we identify someone? Uh, and you're right, Paul, the captain of a ship has incredible power 
Uh, and you know, you hear this term often used, the sanctity of command, uh, is something that when you violate that, even if you're 100% justified, there's a decent chance you're going to suffer consequences. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's part of our culture that I, I wonder. I don't have an answer. I wish I did, but uh, it would be nice if there were a way to kind of have uh, an independent review of these things with uh, without someone you know who already knows the individuals involved and say, okay, I've looked at, at these reports and uh, and and this is over the top and, and something needs to happen here. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, and they don't become toxic overnight. I don't think. I don't think you just get in a command position or a leadership position and then go toxic. I got it. There's a lot of pressure that comes with these things. Right. Um, there's stressful outcomes, but um, so I I'm going to assume like not based in theory, but based in articles and stuff I've read. Like, I think these are traits and people as young leaders that go either they're detected and not mitigated early and then they amplify over career. Um, But how do people, how are these kind of people able to advance in organizations? You touched on a little bit, right? So I think people in the case of military organizations, Hey, I'll just send a subtle signal to to the selection board with an eval and the selection board doesn't pick it up. What else can, enable this kind of behavior to, you know, persist over, you know, a career. Right. Well, first of all, you know, if you look at it from three different levels, you look at it from the bottom up, um, the people that work for that individual are just probably not going to say anything. They're either concerned that they won't be believed by somebody else. They're concerned that uh, they'll pay the price directly from that person if they speak up, um, or they could be perceived as, uh, as unloyal or disloyal to their, to the leadership. Um, the peers of that individual um, I've seen that work where a department head was was pretty, you know, on my first ship, I walked in the wardroom my first day and the chief engineer was screaming at the at the uh, mess attendant over lunch because his hamburger was cold. And uh, now in that case, about a month later, that individual had been relieved for cause. And that was a case where the department heads went to the captain and said, this individual needs to go. Right. So his peers actually, they tried to help him and try to guide him and provide coaching. And then at some point, they just decided that he was beyond uh, saving, and the captain took action, and, and he was relieved. Um, now, that was a unique case. Um, the other piece is the, the, the immediate superior. You know, the challenge with a commanding officer is, I went my entire 05 tour. I think my Commodore was on board the ship maybe three, four days out of two years. And so if you're not physically there, you're completely reliant on reports from other entities Um Sometimes outside observers, uh, there was a case a few years ago where this, I believe a ship came back from deployment. The, I believe a safety command inspection occurred, and, and the, that group of inspectors came back to their office and said something's not right. And that led to a command investigation that led to a relief of the commanding officer. So it could be an outside entity. We do command climate surveys, um, and those typically go to the, uh, to the superior officer for, for evaluation. Uh, but remember, the person reading that also is also charged with developing that subordinate and bringing them along. And that's the last piece of this is we all like to think that we're good leaders. And if I'm a good leader, then I can take someone who's toxic or perhaps leaning that way and, and, and somehow fix them. And if I don't, I see that as my own personal failure. And so I think that was the case. And the, the case that I talked about is my friend that I, I would consider an excellent leader felt like, you know, hey, I can I can I can get this person back on the right track. And then as soon as that influence was gone, then they went back to their old way. So I, I agree with you, Paul. You don't become, I, I would say you might become more <laughs> embittered over time. Um, yeah. But uh, but you don't go from being a, a super emphatic leader as an 05 to a toxic leader as an 06. I think that trend, yeah. and uh, at least certainly in, in the cases that I've seen, there's always somebody saying, well, you know, you know I certainly saw that coming. But then what did you do about it? And, right. And I have to I have to confess. And, you know, I did an article in a, in a podcast with these two folks that we talked about, Nicole and and, uh, and Kirk. And uh, and I didn't take action. I mean, I heard the stories. I, I knew this person and uh, and, you know, didn't feel like it was my position to to you know, to go and, and and do something about it. I mean, there was nothing yeah. I could do, but but I could have maybe spoken up more. Um, yeah. So it's very challenging. And uh so it's not a uh, obviously not an easy problem, but it's one that that unfortunately recurs, like you said, all too often. Yeah, um, and I like your approach. Bottom, you know, you know, people that work for you, peers, and and you know, and then those you work for, 
Um, and absolutely, the people that work for you very rarely are going to push back, right? Fear of reprisal, fear of impact, right? Lack of trust in organizational top cover per se. Sure. So you're not going to get the truth. They're going to see it a lot. And then you and I talked earlier, like in many cases, and, and again, within the military um, at large, you had made a comment usually, uh, and when you were you read the reports, a lot of times it's aimed towards the wardroom, right? And junior officers. Mm-hmm. It's not, I mean, not that it isn't, but, you know, most of it is aimed there, not directly towards, you know, your enlisted sailor or whatever. So, but regardless, they still see it, right? They still hear the yelling. They still see the stuff and that causes, you know, um, an impact. Um, and then peers, to your point, the sense of loyalty, right? So I talk about that in the Chief Petty Officer's Guide, right? Like, you know, you have several loyalties, you know, within the Navy. Um, That's a great point. Identify this toxic boss, right? Your loyalties have to shift, right? So if I'm a Navy chief and, you know, again, this could be a toxic chief petty officer who's a pair of mine, um, you know, you could choose loyalty to the chief's mess and then engage, you know, to try to cover up or not engage the level or just kind of make excuses. Um, but your loyalty to the Navy and your sailors in the command is when you engage that way and you try to disrupt that and, and stop that behavior. So um, what impact do you think uh, I, you know, military culture has on this, like just this kind of feeling like, well, we're in the military and everyone has to be tough and this is how I lead. Um, or in the case of the Navy, is this something that surface warfare culture would spend, a, you know, they've been kind of accused of eating their young per se. Um, what, what impact do you think that has cultural expectations and beliefs? No, I think definitely there's a, uh, every, you know, in, in, a, in, in parts of the Navy, they call them tribes, right? If you talk yeah. to folks at Expeditionary Command, they have seven tribes and they all have their own culture. And so culture is, is the Navy, the surface Navy, and right down to a command. And, and it can perpetuate, you know, based on the leader. And so I think in the surface Navy, um, you know, we all know that we're undermanned and overworked. And, you know, I do a lot of work in the sleep and fatigue area. Yeah. Uh, we all know that fatigue affects your mood. It affects the way you interact with other people. And so there's a level of that that, uh, you know, you, you would expect a bunch of tired folks to be grumpy, you know, sort of like the, the candy bar commercial, right, when they're, when they're hungry. Um, and, uh, and so that perpetuates itself over time. And, uh, and you have like a little microcosm culture on a ship that, that really can feed upon itself after a while. And that becomes the norm, right? And, uh, and that's the challenge, I think. It's like the boiling frog syndrome. It just gets worse yeah. and worse and worse. And if I'm just used to hearing people yelling all the time, uh, I, I see it myself. You know, I'm retired 10 years now. Um, the only time a cuss word leaves my lips is when I'm hanging out with a bunch of sailors and I fall right back into that conversation. Um, and now I kind of, I kind of jump a little bit and it bothers me when I, when I, you know, drop an F-bomb or something, cause I just don't do it except, yeah. you know, somehow it just comes back. And so it's, it's really bizarre, but, uh, you know, as far as, as, you know, the yelling piece, I mean, I have had, uh, a, an officer tell me that they can remember the one time I yelled during my tour. Uh, in fact, in my case, my wife's German. I, I, I spent time in Germany and I tend to shift to German. Because the German have such good cuss words that uh, they're just much better than American. But, but you know, uh, on the one hand, it, it, I think it's good to hear that, you know, it was such an unusual event for me to lose my temper that they remember that. But by the same token, I lost my temper. And, yeah. uh, and at one point when I was in XO, uh, a chief came in my room and was complaining about the captain. I won't get into the, the, the details. Yeah. But uh, he, he basically turned his back on me and said, well, this captain doesn't give a crap about our safety. And, uh, and, and he walked out of and, and he kind of said something like, I think he said something as he, as he turned around and something like, and neither do you. Um, and, uh, I, without even thinking, my arm went out and I grabbed him by his collar and pulled him back into the stateroom. Um, that resulted in a complaint as it should have. And, uh, I ended up going down and apologizing to the chief's mess, but, uh, it wasn't like I, it wasn't like a conscious thought. It just kind of mm-hmm. happened, you know? Um, and again, that was like a one-off, um, if that becomes the norm, then I think you're in a different territory, right? And I think that's what you saw here. So I'm not saying that, that, that losing your temper can't happen. It happens to mm-hmm. all of us. But I think you have to know where that line is. And then you have to recognize when that becomes the norm. Yeah. You should not. Nobody wants to work in a place where your boss is yelling at you or everybody else all the time. And, uh, and so that, that's the culture piece that I think we have to figure out 
Uh, I saw a great quote from someone that the you know, culture, you can't change a culture by instruction or, or by edict. It has to be the actions of the, of the members of the team every day. And so not accepting that is, is a piece of it. Now I had, you talk about the relationship with the captain, and the command master chief. Um, my dad taught me this because he had been in the Navy. Um, he had a friend, uh, his XO had like a secret word that if, if the captain, if my dad was getting, doing something crazy, then uh, my friend would ask him if he wanted a peanut butter sandwich. You know, his friend would. And then, so that became my secret word with the XO is, if, hey, if, I'm, if I drink too much, if I'm losing my temper, if I'm making a fool of myself, um, come ask me if I say, Captain, you look hungry. Would you like a peanut butter sandwich? And, uh, and that, that, that got my attention because we made that agreement that rather than call me out in public, yep. that, was his, that was his way to say you're going too far. And, yeah. uh, and he did it once, um, quite frankly. And so, and I stopped, you know, because I figured uh, he knew me, I knew him, and I knew if he got to that point where he needed to say that, then I was out of line. And so I think you can set up tripwires like we talked about with your trusted individuals in the triad where they'll tell you and they may have to shut the door with you, right? Um, And and kind of go toe to toe. And that's tough, right? For someone that you're supposed to support. So. Yeah, um, and I'll get into that a little bit too about my perspectives, you know, having done the command mashy thing. Um, and again, this can go all the way up. This can go from, you know, department head level up to flag officer level. So toxic sure. leadership isn't constrained to the level of the commanding officer. Um, all right. So let's get a little bit into, and um, this is a good segue. So um, I think there's times when you need to elevate your voice or kind of emphasize a point, maybe an expletive here, expletive here or there kind of helps. Um, again, it shouldn't be the norm. Um so how do you differentiate? How does, you know, if I'm at a command and I'm looking up, perhaps I'm a, you know, an executive officer, I'm a command mass chief or um, someone in a position to respond. Where do I start to delineate my leader as toxic compared to someone who may be just asserting themselves strongly? Right. Um, I think the first thing is, you know, is it happening routinely? Is it, uh, is it happening? Is it every day? I mean, is it kind of the norm to hear this person yelling at somebody? Is that their first reaction? Um, I had a great, uh, quote by one of my old bosses that said, Hey, there, there's no good news or bad news. There's just news. I'll decide whether it's good or bad. Um, but if, if they perceive the person bringing in the bad news, shoot the messenger kind of a mentality that, uh, you know, I, I remember when I checked out of one of my commands, I went to my boss and said, you know, sir, I'm, I'm going to tell you up front. There are times I, I consciously didn't make reports to you about things that had happened because I was tired of getting yelled at every time I brought up something that, that was unpleasant. And, uh, and and you should know I'm not the only one. And so um, if you see that, the, that, that, if you look at your peers and they're afraid to go tell the chief engineer or they're afraid to go tell the XO that something bad happened or that there's something happened at all, uh, then you start to put those dots together and say, why is that? And, and, you know, we didn't talk about it before, but it's kind of a safety aspect to this too. If the, if the crew is not going to bring things up to the commanding officer, to the department head, that things are happening that they don't know about. They're going to make decisions based on bad information. And so there's a, there's a, you know, you can really put the ship at risk. Um, one of the vignettes about uh, uh, Captain Graff was doing a, a drag race uh, with another ship, which I kind of, I kind of, you know, raised my eyebrows because I did the same thing when I, we probably a bunch of us had done some sort of a drag race, but when I did mine, it was, you know, we were a thousand, 2000 yards apart Um and, uh, you know, apparently this resulted in a near collision, but part of it was people wouldn't come to her and tell, tell her that things weren't, you know, something was malfunctioning or, or something wasn't, we shouldn't do this. Right. And so, um, I think you have to have a sense of what's normal. And then when you start, when that starts to tick up and you see a normal routine behavior like that of, uh, you know, and really, you know, like I said, I did it uh, once, but, uh, if the boss is touching you and, and, and hitting you, uh, even if it's sort of in a, you know, like a, you watch NCIS, uh, Gibbs always, you know, hits with the other, uh, agent in the back of the head. Well, yep. that's really not okay, you know? Um, and so those are things that I think draw that line, um, as, uh, as a toxic leader. And then that has implications across the board as far as how people react to that for the rest of their, the rest of their time on board. Yeah. And I think it's sustained, right? Um, so things, so when you get to these other ones, you know, the, the patterns you see, right. Um, there's this kind of constant screaming. There's you, you constantly, the reports, the IG, cause I see the redacted reports as well. Right. Like, sure. 
you know, not just raising your voice, but screaming to where it, within a closed office, you can hear it outside the office, right? Um, or screaming at people in open spaces. So that's one indicator. Name calling, belittling, right? These are all things within, outside the realm of normal expectations of, of influence. Assault, to your point, putting your hands, right? And people, I think, think assault is just, you know, like beating someone up. It's like, no, you start putting your hands on someone for no reason, you're in the realm of assault. Um, abuse of punishment measures, right? So some of them, when I went back and looked, um, you know, um, maybe inappropriate punishment at USCMJ, right? Overuse of brig time and things like that. And then right, another right. one, um, extreme micromanagement, right? So although it doesn't sound like that, this kind of need to constantly follow up and tell that's toxic too. When people want to be delegated, you know, ideal, I got it. You know, not everyone knows everything all the time, but when you come to a typical chain of command at a unit or within a, a civilian organization, people have been chosen in their positions for a reason, right? We don't just bring people who aren't experienced right. or don't have competence. So they expect some latitude to execute their jobs. I have seen, not at the commanding officer level, but I've seen XOs that do this a lot, this kind of insecurity or sense of pressure, perceived pressure that drives them to kind of micromanage everyone. And then that sends... um just negative vibes, right? When you, you disempower your people, that is a form of toxic leadership um, from what I've seen and what's been written. So no, absolutely. Um, that, that can happen. I mean, and, and things like, uh, like you talk about punishment, I was reading one of the reports in some of these uh, suicide reports uh, that have been published, you know, in, in open forum. And there yep. was one, I forget what chip it was. Um, doesn't really matter, but they, they had invoked a form of punishment where they put the, the people on, uh, they weren't qualified on five on five off for days at a time, uh, just to to make them fatigued, and yeah. uh, you know using using fatigue as a weapon basically uh, is uh, is certainly beyond the pale. And the one case I talked about, you know, this particular ship uh, put dozens and dozens of sailors on bread and water three days, which is kind of an eighteen hundreds punishment that's on the books. Yeah. I think it's gone now, um, but you know, it never occurred to me to do that, um, yeah. and then that was happening routinely. So. Um, the, la the other piece of this, Paul, is what mechanisms do we have in place to address this? You know, we have uh, a pretty robust naval leadership continuum. Yep. Um, and uh, and I've been through that, and I found the curriculum very good and, and very open. Although I don't think we discussed this particular topic in detail. Um, we have the command climate survey, command climate assessment, um, which is interesting because in the, in, the, in the article that I read. Um, it didn't sound like that the results of that went to the superior of this officer, although that I thought was the norm. So I'm not sure yeah. there, there's some anomalies there. Um, there are other things like the float culture workshop where you can bring in an outside team. They interview the crew that stays with the captain. So there's an assumption there. The captain's going to act on it, which unfortunately, you know, in the worst case scenario, um, the people who need to act on it the most are probably not going to act on it. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a new thing out there now called the uh, Leadership Assessment Program. Um, I'm not that familiar with it, but I have been a, uh, a, a, talked to some folks that went through it. Basically, they actually bring in uh, a, a psychologist with folks that are headed to command, um, and I think they're expanding this now. Um, you can go to the My Navy HR website. There's a, there's a section on it. And they bring in a psychologist and a couple of flag officers, and they actually do an assessment of this individual's approach. You know, what's your, how, do you, how do you respond to different situations? They interview them. And they give them some guidance and some feedback. Now, yep. it's not designed as a screening process to screen out toxic leaders. Um, but I think they make an assessment out of that as to what kind of personality you have and what your leadership style is. And they can certainly uh, provide some, some, some course corrections if necessary. Yeah. Um, I think it's a fairly new program. It's a, it's a large investment, though, because you're talking about you know, a medical officer and flag officer sitting down with each person um, for a significant amount of time. Uh, with some prep time involved. So uh, uh, the, the Naval Special Warfare community does this, I think, pretty frequently with their, with their leaders. Okay. Uh, so I think we're seeing, some, we're seeing some things that could eventually nip this in the bud, I think. But, uh, but I, I do think that uh, when you look back to what we learned from 10 years ago, um, you know, to have a similar case pop up again was sort of discouraging. And there's been some in the case, you know, I mean, it wasn't just within 10 years. There's been others that we've seen from a variety of levels. Sure. Um, senior enlisted, you know, and wardroom, uh, both. Right, right. right. Um, yeah. So I, uh, yeah, to your point about um, kind of 
leadership attribute screening, right? So Navy Leader and Ethics Center does that with the commanding officers and command match sheets. They take the Hogan assessment, right? And yep. I've heard of where those those kind of assessments have revealed some red flags and then they're pulled aside and given some coaching. So um, there is one attempt to do it as well or identify um, command climate surveys. So that's another one. Um, to your point, they should be reviewed by the ISIC. Um, at least I remember they should have been. But also, hey, if I'm a command mass chief, a new person reporting, that is something you want to look at, right? Hey, let me pull the latest you know, climate survey on my boss and see what people are saying. Um, yeah, you can expect a onesie or twosie comment. You know, Some people are not happy. But if you see persistent trends in that report, in the comments, because they are you know, um, names don't go into that, that should be a red flag that mm, I need to have a conversation here. So no, absolutely. Um, I wrote, you know, in the, the newest edition, it's uh, I just submitted the manuscript for the chief petty officer's guide. This was a big enough topic for me to write a section in. So I wrote a, you know, self-assessment checklist for <laughs> could I be a toxic leader? Right. So I like it. Um, things like, am I boastful and arrogant? And do I feel I'm always right? Right. And I'm not saying one of these indicates it, but if you see three, four, five of these, you may want to pause and go, Hmm, Maybe I need to talk to some people and assess what's going on here. Sure. Um, what's my reaction when confronted, right? Do I reject companions of others than my own? Do I expect others to just follow absolutely my my direction? And there is a time with like for that, like you mentioned, right? There's time sure. in crisis when, hey, I'm directing mode, but day-to-day, if you're going to develop a feedback team and a learning organization, um, what's your reaction when confronted or offered feedback or unpopular news, Um What's your reaction to pressure and stress, right? Because that's a big part of this, I think, is that perceived stress and perception um, and inability to manage pressure or tell your boss, no, I can't, right? I think there's some perceived career implications, some perceived feeling of not being a good leader or manager. Um, But do you find you're yelling? Do you do personal attacks? Are you putting your hands on people? These are things you got to be mindful of. Um, do you present a tough or arrogant appearance to hide insecurities or fear of change? Are you inflexible to change? Um, do you find yourself often using your positional authority and seniority to control team members? So again, there are several symptoms that heck just Google them. If you want to assess, if you're getting into <laughs> these behaviors, right. um, you can find it besides what your people could be telling you. So sure, right, let's sure. move into uh next step. So we we're at a command. Um, I'm in a position of influence. I'm a command mass chief or a senior department head or an executive officer. And I've assessed that I've got um, a toxic boss. Okay. Right. What do we do? Right. What what are the kind of direct level approach that you would advise people to take with a toxic boss? Okay. Well, I think the first thing is, you know, if if that person is a direct superior to you, like you talk about the command mass chief and the captain of the XO, um, I think there's a, there's a relationship there that you can leverage to say, Hey, you know, we know each other, we trust each other. I'm telling you, you know, you're over the line. Right. Um, and that's, that's a first step and they may or may not listen. If it's someone, a couple layers of uh, levels above you, um, the first thing to do is probably figure out whether, Hey, am I the only one that feels this way? Uh, not to start a cons- like a conspiracy, but, you know, get some consensus that, uh, that more than there's more than a few of us feel that this person is out of line. And then you might go to your superior there who's sort of in the chain of command and bring that up and, and hope that they'll take action. Um, at some point, like you said, Paul, it gets to the point where clearly no internal intervention is, uh, is going to help. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. <clears throat> I listened to a flag officer talk on one of these uh, leadership symposiums, and the title was, you know, How to Live with a Toxic Boss. Um, and I sort of took offense at that is that, you know, I, we shouldn't expect people to live with a toxic boss. And I said, Absolutely. maybe there's a time when it goes outside the lifelines, but, uh, I think you should, it should be crystal clear that there's a chance that that could come at a cost. Right. Um, yep. but then back to that loyalty thing. And so a couple of options that, that, that come to mind, first of all, most of us have mentors outside of the command. So I have a former commanding officer. I have a former command master chief, someone else in a position of leadership that I can reach out to and say, hey, I'm in this situation. I see this happening. What can I do? Uh, they may have connections you can talk to. Um, there is the, the IG um, that you can make a complaint to, and they'll do an investigation. And uh, you know that's pretty extreme, but that can be, uh, I believe that can be anonymous. And so yep. you could set that those wheels in motion that way. Or you could go straight to the... Uh, 
to the uh, superior, like the ISIC, or the immediate superior in command, the, the reporting senior of that of that commanding officer. Um, probably in your case, they probably have a command master chief over there that you could talk to, yep. uh, and some way to bring that to attention of their boss. Just, just you know, there's probably no turning back once you've done that, right? Yeah, because the, you're not going to be anonymous anymore, and uh, and it would be more effective, I think, if you were had, you know sort of strength in numbers. Hey, it's not yep. just one department head. Here, here's the whole department head group on this ship, but that would be a pretty extreme uh, yeah. case. Um, but you know, unfortunately, in, in both of these cases, it appears that it was quite a ways into the tour when, when something happened. So, um, you know, with, with Captain Graf, I think it was her last week in command when she was relieved. And, uh, in this recent case, I think it was pretty far yeah. into the tour. So. And damage is done at that point. The damage is done. Right. Yep. And so that's the challenge, but you know, yep. we're all, most of us who are good leaders are also empathetic leaders and we want to give someone a chance to get better. Yeah. And so uh, it may be that, you know, time goes by, you think you're making progress and suddenly realize that, that you're not going to get there from here. But I think yeah. those are, you know, mentorship, your, your network of mentors outside of the ship. Uh, there's formal means via the IG, and then there's a direct, uh, you know, intervention via the chain of command. And yeah. uh, But I've had very senior people say that they feel like, uh, you know, that should never happen. Like, you know, I had a, a case when I was in... Uh, I was an XO and we were supposed to pull into Yorktown and a captain of the ship ahead of us, the ship didn't pull out. It was supposed to pull out the day we're stuck at the bridge and we're waiting to pull in and the ship didn't leave when they were supposed to. Well, it turns out the captain went on a bender and came back to the ship drunk and didn't wake up in time for the navigation brief to get underway. And so, you know, the XO is making excuses for everybody as why the ship hasn't left yet. And it's because he can't wake up the captain. And so the XO finally called the ISIC. And the Commodore drove up and took command of the ship and, and, and fired the captain. That XO was, was persona non grata for a long time in the service yeah. community. And so, uh, you know, I'd like to think that wouldn't happen today. That was in the 90s. But, yep. uh, but you have to wonder, you know. So there's toxic leadership and that's toxic followership, right? So yeah. <laughs> I think it's being a toxic follower at that point to where you're enabling a toxic leader. Right, um, right. So, yeah, so I I have that perspective, Command Mashi. I think it is a powerful position to be in to mitigate any toxic leadership at a command except your own, obviously. Right. So if I'm a toxic right. Command Mashi, um, you can get you – know, right, that's interesting in itself. So let's talk about where I think you go, right? So if I'm Command Mashi and I see – right, any level, I can engage with a toxic department head, right? I get feedback sure. from sailors or the chief's mess. I'm like, all right, hey, LCPO, like – you know, that's an email to the LCP on the apartment head and, hey, swing by the office and you let them go, right? I don't need to go right to, I'm like, I'm not going to go to the XO and talk about this. I'm going to tell you what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing, right? right. It needs that's to stop. a unique opportunity, unique yeah, position I, for the CMC yeah, to, to- You can that, broker to, these conversations, yeah. right? Same with the XO. Um, I've had this conversation with XOs like, hey, um, again, I see this I, and I got it. It can be intimidating and stressful, but- it is performance coaching and counseling up. That's how I see this, right? So sure. we lead and influence up. I've Le- written about that. Yep. I'm leading up at this point. So I have a responsibility. Um, I think my wardroom expects that out of me. Um, and not just me, but my leading chief petty officers, right? So if I'm a department LCPO, consider your department head, the equivalent of the commanding officer, right? You are the point sure. of engagement, right? Now, if you can't, or if you need help, then you come to me. Uh, and I'll help. And same with the XO, right? Um, now leading up, I get to the XO. Maybe I see a couple department heads that see it too. I might choose a coalition tactic like, hey, XO, look, you got 20, 30 minutes and I bring the department heads in. Hey, we want to talk about some things we're seeing, um, not to ambush them per se, but you know, this is all in the effort to make you better and a win-win for the command, right? This behavior is having negative impacts. It's just like any other performance coaching you explain the behavior, the impacts it's having, and you put the responsibility back on the person. So all those techniques, I think we're taught to how to counsel people down. You bring those up and you flip it and you have a great recipe to have these conversations. And I, I think some people think they're different, but they're not. You keep it professional and you keep the interest sure. of the command and the leader. The ultimate win is like, hey, I want you to change the behavior and be a successful officer. Um, 
and I want this command to succeed and you're inhibiting that with your current behavior. Right. And then ultimately right. if it gets commanding officer, I mean, I'm definitely the person who's in that position to engage. Right. Um, fortunately I've never had a toxic boss to work in, but I've had conversations with commanding officers about, you know, if they're leaning in hard or things like that, it never got to the level of, um, that, but there's techniques, right. Hey, let's have a conversation. Um, if you're going to be in a command senior enlisted position, this goes with it. Right. Um, no, absolutely. That's, that, that's a good point. It's not, it's not really an option. It's a responsibility. Nope, it's, what absolutely. You owe, it's what you owe the people on the crew, the people on the ship. Um, yep. And, uh, and you don't want the headlines, right? Uh, those yep. can cause long-term repercussions for the Navy too. And so I think it's important to, to kind of step back and say, this is not about me, right? This yep. is about uh, my responsibility as a leader to those, you know, I used to say, I, I can't fix the whole Navy, but I can fix, the Navy for the 300 people on USS yep. Oscar Austin. Right. Yep. And so, uh, you have to kind of step in, you have a responsibility. If you don't, you've abdicated that responsibility. You're, yeah. you're just facilitating it. Um, I think there's, I think there's strength in coalition tactic, right? so again, sure. I've done prior episodes on using influence tactics. This is one where a coalition tactic can be very successful. Yeah, so there's definitely strength in numbers. Yeah. Um, so I go, if it's commanding officer, you know, and the XO sees it, me, I see it, maybe there's a, sus, a, I would look in many cases for where's that senior department head LDO, right? Who was a chief right, petty officer. That's right, a very right. strong person. Um, I may bring my chaplain in, you know, sure. chaplain, bring legal medical, officer medical. in. Yeah, yeah, people right. who maybe have a little more of a of a sort of a people flavored yes. job, you know. Yep. Um, and uh, no, I think I think those are all great points. I think you know the other thing to think about is, uh, you know, when I wrote this article and did the podcast, we had some some recommendations in there, some of which have been taken, I think. But you know, yeah. the first one is it would be helpful, I think, if and it would be tough. It would it sounds simple, but it probably wouldn't be simple. But you know, define what a toxic leader is. Yeah. Um, in whatever terms and we can, we can from a legal and an ethical standpoint and then train to that. And so when I leave department head school, I leave XO, I kind of have a threshold in my mind of, Hey, what should I expect? And what should I not expect? Yep. And then that way you have a standard against which to measure someone and then you can make those reports. So I think Absolutely. that would be helpful. I think having, uh, maybe a little more transparency, you know, if you look at the current case, the, this officer, this case happened back in October. And then it was through a Freedom of Information Act that it came out as to what happened. And, uh, you know, maybe we could be a little more transparent with those things. I mean, I've, I've kind of I haven't really formalized this, but I've kind of thought, you know, maybe if you go to a command position, it's paid for by taxpayer dollars and you have this responsibility. Yeah. Maybe you should sign some kind of a waiver that says, hey, if, if I get fired for malfeasance, I waive my right to privacy and I'm going to whatever happened is going to be publicized so that other people can understand how it happened and. And, yeah. uh, and learn from it. And, you know, a lot of times all you hear is loss of confidence and then you get a lot of innuendo on Sailor Bob or Navy Times or something. And then eventually most of these things come out via FOIA request. Yeah. Um, and, but it, it's almost like a double whammy. It makes you look bad because it happened and it makes you look bad because it wasn't addressed. You yeah. Know? So uh, those would be some things, you know, that I, that I have and, and continue to kind of talk about as potential solutions is education, yeah. Um, and uh, and then providing those venues to uh, um, to learn from past from past uh, events. Absolutely. Um, it's not the initial. Events. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just the initial engagement. Right. So it's like, hey, the boss ideally takes on that feedback, you know, and then they change for the best. Hey, you got to win. Right. Like and then you kind of follow up with like positive feedback. Right. right. So. Right. Manning officers and bosses need that too. They need to know when they're doing the right thing. I've always known my bosses to seek that feedback, right? Whether it's how did that, that speech come across to the crew or what do you think about this policy, right? So you got to give them when they do make those adjustments. Um, maybe, you know, part of this could be going out to dinner with them going, you know, what is putting the pressure on you, right? Where do you feel pressure, right? And helping them well, like, and then guiding them like, Hey, who else can you talk to? I've never been in that position. Um, because command is absolute, right? As much as I'm the commanding mass chief, command mass chief, I, I still don't know the detail of the pressure that it is being the commanding officer. I feel some of it, but not the same amount. So no, it's, uh, part it's, of it it's is definitely lonely, and uh, yeah, and, uh, and and you can feel like it's a weakness if you reach out to someone. Yeah, uh, I think we're you know overcoming that, but uh, 
but the stress is, uh, you know, when I, when I talk about, you know, talk about military versus civilian, I usually have yeah. a whiteboard and, and I'll draw my stress level in the military. And usually it kind of ratchets up from seven to eight to nine when I was a commanding yeah. officer, reactor officer, chief of staff. Um, when I retired, it dropped to like a zero. Right. Um, and then I got a job in the civilian industry and it came to like a four. Yeah. Um, and it's really never risen above a five since I retired. And so you think about it, when everybody else is in that same situation, then it really is a, a sort of a, a, a boiler pot for uh, for that type of behavior. Yeah. And we do put a lot of stress on ourselves in the military. It's a very Absolutely. demanding environment. Um, and so, but to step back and, and say, hey, does this really make sense? You know, yeah. I think that's the hard part. But uh, Absolutely. And then I want to help you mitigate the damage, right? So like, hey, say a command climate survey indicated this behavior and like, you know, okay, I've got you to agree like, okay, yeah, I've I've been out of the box. My behavior's been jacked up. Now I need you to kind of go out and acknowledge it to the crew, right? acknowledge it to the wardroom, the cheese mess, own it. I will help you, right? As your command mass chief, I'm not going to let you hang out there. But I think by acknowledging it, you know, that goes a long way to repair the damage, right? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So I would encourage that. And then to your point, um, we try those things and then either you're not responding or you're not listening because I'm going to watch. I'm gonna, I've engaged. I brought other people in. We've told you how it is. We've asked you to adjust, right? And we think it's best. Right. Um, and, and a lot of this, yeah, it's not defined, but what your people think in the follower perspective matters. They're that's implicit followership theory in action. No, right? absolutely. Um, what you um, think you should be as a leader compared to what people expect out of you as a leader is two different things. So I'm telling you what the people that are under your charge and you have a privilege, not a right to lead, um, are saying you need to adjust. And if you don't, yeah, then I'm going to go to my command mass chief at the ISIC level and go, hey, I've got a problem. I need help with your boss. And I'm going to take it to the next level. Now we're going to get into leading down performance counseling. Um, or perhaps if you don't respond to that, then I need to leverage the IG to your point. Um, ideally as command mass chief, if I go to the ISIC with my facts, right. Um, and documentation of this, I'm probably going to get the response I want and they can leverage the influence they need to, to adjust it. And then if that boss doesn't respond to that, um, that's a problem. Same at the unit level. Like, Hey, if I, I work with an LCPO to, to engage a department head and they don't adjust, then I'm going to bring that. Now we're going to bring the XO in the conversation. I'm going to start to elevate and bring positional pressure onto that as well. Ultimately, I don't want to have to threaten people, but I'm going to make it clear like, Hey, you're outside the bounds of professionalism. We've tried to adjust it. Now you're forcing my hand to other things. Um, Sure. sure. I briefly described, I never had to do this, but there are articles of the UCMJ, like Article Nine to Three, you know, cruelty, maltreatment, and oppression. Um, right. Usually, that's brought down. But hey, there could be a case where someone could bring those charges forth on commanding officer. But you need to consult a legal officer if you're going to start pursuing that kind of um, legal that's action. That's a good point. You know, I didn't, we didn't list the legal officer as a as a venue as well, but they could yep. advise you on. Uh, you know, what are the definitions? Because there are some definitions, and like you said, in that, in that UCMG article of maltreatment. Yep. And, and so you can at least start to recognize it. You know, it's not like, uh, what's the thing about pornography? You know, I don't know what it is, but I'll, I know when I see yeah. it. Um, yep. There are guidelines that uh, that you can use, and the JAG can probably help you out quite a bit, the legal officer. Um, you know, and, you know, again, we talked about the civilian world, too. Uh, you know, you made a great point as we were preparing for this, that in the civilian world, I can walk away, right? I can yeah. just find another job. In the military, you don't have that option. And so, you know, one of the things that, that, that came to mind when I talked to Nicole and and uh, and some of the other folks is, uh, and some folks that I know who have, have been on these ships that, where the person's been fired for that, is we ought to have some formal means of getting them help, right? We talk yeah. about the stigma of mental, you know, mental health, mental fitness, whatever. Um, if I have inflicted injury upon you, um, by putting you in this environment, then I think I owe it to you to, to go back and say, okay, how can you get some help? Let's get you some help here, shipmate, yeah. um, because you shouldn't have to deal with it by yourself. And you see that stuff on Reddit nowadays, and you know nowadays with social media, that, that kind of pops up. So, yeah. Um, and then one other thing I'd say, you know, at the ISIC level, if you're working at the ISIC, whether you're that flag officer, commodore, ISIC level command mass chief, right? I think you view this from the supported supporting, right? Like part of what I'm trying to do is develop and and enable my teams right below me. So you right. should be doing checks in with your commanding officers. You should be going in with your command mass chiefs and just pulling the string. How are things going? 
Um, sure, sure. Read and do things- climate reports and don't just necessarily just go bad news, fire them. Right. No, right. 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 It's, no, it's, kinda- you have a, it's a trade off. There's responsibility. Yes. You know I mean? On every, on, on the two ships I had, you know, I had five department heads and usually they were, they run the gamut from, you know, absolutely no supervision required to almost constant supervision. Yeah. Um, but one technique I used was typically I would pull the better one, the stronger one aside is, Hey, what are you doing to help out the other folks? Usually yeah. they did that on their own. That's how, that's how they became the, you know, the superior department heads. But, uh, you know, I had one ship, I would say, that when, when I put pressure on the department heads, they pulled together, they all pushed back. I had another when they they just sort of scattered and left yeah. one person to take my wrath, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, you know, you want to build that teamwork where the team is not going to let one of the members fail. And that could be at the ISIC level with the commanding officers. Um, we met when I was in a, in a group of commanding officers. We met once a month over at, at IHOP and and talk through what we were doing and, and propped each other up. So there's lots of support mechanisms. I think that that would be kind of, uh, you know, if I had a final kind of set of thoughts on this, I think it would yeah. be, you know, what can we do to foster the other kind of leadership and, and highlight that and, and show that, Hey, it, it's possible to, to, to lead a ship uh, or a squadron or a submarine without yelling, without hitting, without getting upset. Right. Or maybe you get upset, you do it in private. Um, and, uh, I've known people that went their entire tour and, and never yelled at anybody, you know? Um, and so, uh, you know, highlight the, the successes and, uh, and then capture that and roll that back into those leadership courses from, from mid grade up through, you know, flag officer of, uh, Hey, here are some examples of leaders that did it right. And, uh, and how do you emulate that? Um, and don't just dwell on the negatives, you know? Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's a great way to close it up. So, uh, John, thanks again. Um, hopefully, again, these discussions are, are are kind of our way to give back and kind of get people to think or think about new ways they can do this. Ultimately, we don't want to see any more toxic leaders developed or relieved. So, uh, again, appreciate your time and your insights on this. Okay. Well, thank you. And, you know, I know you said this in the beginning, but just to be clear, you know, the uh, I'm here on my own volition, stating my opinion, not representing yeah. the government or or the Navy or anything like that. So, yeah, and um, keep up, great to have keep this up that advocacy. Yep, in right. the area of human factors and resilience and mental health and manning and all those other things. So you've done well, great stuff. So thanks a um, lot. And then it thanks everyone. Up. Yeah, and then hold on uh, till I get done here. But uh, thanks everyone again for watching this episode, listening to this episode of the Cutlass Podcast. Again, if you like what you see and you hear, subscribe, share, like, do all those things. You know, those kind of how we do it to help get that information out there. Uh, as always, I'm Paul Kingsbury. So take what you learn and uh, go out and make a positive difference in the teams that you lead. So we'll talk to you next time. All right, let me figure out how I stop recording. There it is. <laughs> oh, is that it?